Our scripture reading today will be a responsive reading. It will be found in the back of your Bible on page 1069 where you find it. Uh, it's Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Let us pray. Almighty God, the Lord of glory and mighty in battle, Lord, we thank you that our faith is not a weapon, it's not a tool with which we can necessarily make things happen, but it is a gift of you as is your grace to help us understand it. Lord, as you're the author and the finisher of our faith, God, I pray that today you will open our eyes and our hearts, help us to understand what it is that you have for us. In your precious holy name we pray. Amen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put, in the whole, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Word of God for the people of God. We uh, complete our survey of um, the arms we are equipped with. Um, we've, we've looked over the suit of armor. And now we see the one weapon given to us, the sword, the word of God. Um, notice it is only one uh, weapon. We are to be specialists. We, we don't have a lot of options. We don't uh, have several tools with which we use. We are to um, use one weapon, the word of God. Um, and we are to know it and be uh, experts in it. We're not jack-of-all-trades knowing a little bit of this and a little bit of that, picking and choosing from different faith traditions and our own inside and, and some experience and something that kind of makes me feel good. Everything is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. So... Um, we're going to look at this sword, and we're going to see uh, that it is the sword of God. Um, it is from God. Like all these, uh, one of the things as we've worked through this that, that has hit me is that I've so often approached this as though this is another to-do list. Do these things. Have faith. 
speak the truth. And I realize more and more, it's the equipment God gives us. It's His truth that we live into. He gives us faith. It's the gospel is about what He has done in all of this. It is something we have received from Him, and so it is of God. It is God's Word, meaning it's not mere words of people about God. You know, a lot of people kind of have the idea that, that this is, you know, it's old, it's out of date. People back then, they didn't have microwaves. They, they didn't, you know, have access to Internet, and they were superstitious, and, and so... God spoke into their times, but it is the word of God, not the word of man. This is one of the things that you might not notice how often this is um, shown to us in Scripture, how often Scripture itself claims to be the very word of God. Um, we're, we're familiar with Paul's letter to Timothy where he, he says, um, all Scripture is inspired or all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction, and training in righteousness. But do you realize when Jesus confronted the Pharisees, and he did so, he challenged them with um, one of the Psalms, and he refers to the Psalm as said, the Holy Spirit through David said this. Jesus himself was saying the psalm, it was written by David, but behind it was the Holy Spirit speaking. There, there's, there's several places where Paul writes, and he um, goes back and forth in such a way that you understand what he says when, Paul, when God is speaking, Scripture speaks. So there's a time when it'll say, um, God said, and he's referring to Scripture. So he's quoting Scripture and says, God says. There's another time where it's quoting God. And it says, and Scripture says. So when, when Paul says it is written, when Jesus says it is written, the underlying assumption is it is written by the Spirit of God. It is the Word of God. And so if it makes that claim, it's kind of like Jesus. If he's making that claim, that, that means you can't just say, well, you know, I think it's a helpful book. Um, it has some truth in it, and I can accept what truth I want. If the truth, if it speaks the truth, it has to speak the truth about itself, right? So if it's speaking the truth and it's saying this is the Word of God, then we take that or we say, well, it's not any good at all because it's claiming to be something it's not. It's not speaking the truth about itself. You know, why take it? We, we take the authority as it is the Word of God. It is God revealing Himself to us. It's not other people's opinions about God. And if it is God's word, if this sword comes to us from God, um, there's four things that come out of that, that implications from that. The first is, it is without error. This book has no error in it. Now, we have, you know, we recognize there, there are portions that there's something that happened in transmission as, as texts were copied. Most of those we're very aware of. Most of them are so insignificant, they don't even translate into English. Um, many of them are, well, it's like us. Do you spell John with an H or an N? So there, there's little things like that throughout, but for the most part, we know what this word is. And the word that we have, we recognize there was an original given, and we recognize that that original is without error. And so we read this, and whatever it speaks on, we know to be true. 
And it's been one of, the, one of the fun things to do is to go back and look at 19th century claims about errors in the Bible and then go look at the 20th century archaeology that shows the people who thought they knew so much did not have the enough evidence because over and over things were unearthed that proved the Scriptures were true. When all the experts said, no, this was not, the, you know, not what happened, this person did not exist, somebody finds a rock with their name on it. And over and over again, it is without error. But I'm going to say that's, that's not really um, as, as big of a thing as the next thing. I think a lot of times people kind of get hung up on that. But, you know, you, you could have a, um, a history book that had no errors in it. You could have um, a math book with no errors in it. Everything in it was correct. Everything was true. That book would be inerrant, without error. But the Scripture goes beyond that. The Scripture is unable to err because God is perfect. God is all-knowing. God, who guided this, speaks to us, and if He's speaking to us, and if it truly is God speaking to us, He cannot err. He is God. He cannot lie. The God of the Scripture that we proclaim is a God of truth, a God of all knowledge, all wisdom, therefore God cannot fail, his word cannot fail, and so we, we proclaim this scripture is infallible, it's without error, and incapable of error. Now, we're not saying that, that God zapped somebody and gave them, you know, took over their hand and they wrote out the words. God, in his providence, raised up people with a certain background, with a certain knowledge, with certain experience, and guide them and led them through to write certain portions of Scripture. Now, that doesn't mean everything they did was without error. You know, I've, you know I imagine if you were to interview um, Peter's wife, Peter's wife would have said, well, you know, the two letters he wrote, those are without error, but there's a lot of mistakes Peter made. <laughs> you know, he, let, me, let me point out a few for Without error, in, unable to err. The, the third thing is... Follow this. If God is intending to communicate to you, if God wants you to know his promises, if God wants to know you to know his character, if God wants you to know his will and how to obey it, Scripture is clear for you to understand. One of the wonderful ironies is the word for being clear is perspicuity. The, the Bible is perspicuous. That means it's clear. We understand what it, what it means. We can know it. So you can read this book, and there are complicated things. There's things that I don't understand. I, one of the first things in heaven will be, when you talk about baptism of the dead, what did you mean? Could you, could you help us out? And, and who were these, these, were those giants in before Noah's days? Who were those um, sons of God who met the sons of man, I don't understand. There's things that we don't understand. But the message of Scripture, if God is wanting to communicate it, he's going to communicate it clearly so that you can know it and you can understand it. That has very practical application. That means you don't have to have a secret code to understanding the Bible. I have not Googled how many secret code books of the Bible there are on Amazon 
But it seems like uh, for a while we were going through, there was always a little trend of something coming out. This is the secret to knowing Scripture. This is the secret to understanding. Do you all remember the Bible code? Anybody remember that? I think you, you kind of got numbers through it, and I don't know if you had to buy a decoder ring or what, but you laid out these numbers, and you got some kind of secret word in there, and you got all that. And I remember that just being, I think there were whole computer programs, and that might have been how Wordle started. I don't know. But, I mean, it was all, you, you do all this to try to figure out what God's real message is. And the thing about that is God is giving this to us to communicate. He's not hiding something from you. He wants you to know who he is. He wants you to know his love for you. He's not hiding that in some crossword puzzle in the Bible. So anything that comes aside and says, hey, you buy this or you read this or you, you watch this, you'll really know the, the, what God wants you to hear Throw it out immediately because God has told you that this book is written so that you can know him. And by knowing him and believing in him, you can have life in his name. It's not hidden. You take it and you read it. That, that means anything that you're reading and you're hearing something different from this pulpit, you need to be suspicious of what you're hearing in the pulpit. If you're hearing some teaching that you can't see clearly in Scripture, so that my job isn't to come up and say, I went to the mountain or Fort Pillar, I went, went to the woods and I prayed and God told me I would want an emergency meeting with a session called to come say, what are, what are you talking about? If I'm up here saying God told me, I better be quoting scripture because this is how he is clearly and you come to it through scripture. You don't come through it through, um, you don't need a priest who's getting some extra message. I don't have some hidden tradition. We we don't have some extra revelation to explain what this is. God speaks to us, but he speaks to us through his word. He, he guides us, and we, we, we certainly feel at peace when we're coming to a decision. We, he gives us wisdom in discerning things, but no one can lay on, a, on us a burden beyond Scripture. We, we come to his word to know his will for us. Now, I've said, I, I don't want to say that in a way to make it sound like we don't hear God speak to us. But he uses his word. We don't look for something outside of Scripture to understand Scripture. And we certainly don't listen to anything that contradicts Scripture or pits Scripture against Scripture. And I've, 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 that seems to be a fairly popular thing to do in any age. The word of God is clear. You can know it. We can know it. We, 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 we certainly need folks to take time to study and to learn the skills of interpreting. So we're, we're not saying you might just read and your opinion is the same, but we are saying it is clear for us to know God's word because the intent is for God to reveal, not to conceal. And the final thing that would be is that it is one word. It is sufficient for all that we need. The word of God is true. The Word of God is clear, and the Word of God is all you need to know God and to love Him. And that doesn't mean we don't need the church to help us understand the Word and to encourage one another and love and serve one another and to obey His Word. If we're going to love one another, we, we have to be with one another. And it doesn't mean we don't need the, the sacraments that, reveal, that show to us and confirm what, what He reveals to us in the Scripture, kind of giving us a, a visual sign of, of the, the words that we hear. But what it means is, again, we, we don't need some additional tradition that's been handed on for this is now how you really live as a Christian. 
and we don't need experts who tell us now this is what you add to it. So we, we, you know, we need the Bible, but you also need um, the marketing program from certain um, church promise to make you real Christians if you subscribe to their uh, service or something. We, we don't add anything to Scripture. Scripture is sufficient. That means for to know what you need to be in a relationship with God is all here. And to obey his will is all here. For us to live as Christians is all here. Everything that we do as a church, it's all here. Now, it's not sufficient for, you know, fixing your car motor. It's not sufficient for recipes, but for what it is, for life following Christ, for obedience to him and trusting in him, it is all you need. It's clear, and it was out fail. This sword is of God, and this sword has two edges and one point. And if you only knew how happy I was when I came up with that. (laughs) You need to be skilled in using the word, and to be skilled in using the word, you need both both edges. This two-edged sword has the law. It has things that God commands us to do. It has the revelation of God's will for how we please him, He shows us the Ten Commandments. Jesus tells us how we serve others, how we are to be generous, how we are to turn the other cheek, how we're to make for peace, how we're to forgive over and over. He gives us commands for how we love one another, and we need God's law. We need His will. We need those commandments. But they're not what saves us. They're good. God's will is good, and knowing how to please him keeps us in check. It, it orders our lives appropriately. But as, as Ashley was saying in the children's message, we, we don't keep it fully. Part of the point or part of the reason for that edge, I'm mixing my metaphor, part of the reason for that edge is to show us our need for the other side. The other edge of the, of the scriptures is the gospel, and that's what saves us. It's what God has done. It's what he has done in Jesus Christ, that he has come and he took all of God's wrath. He took our punishment. He took the the penalty for sin and freely, without merit, unearned, he gives us and lavishes grace on us so that we have eternal life. That life is lived according to those commands. We, we, We come to this in obedience, but we, we, we don't want to mix those up because if we do, the temptation is to make the gospel about us. The temptation is to start saying, okay, well, to be a, you know, the, the gospel is loving and serving my neighbor. Well, no, that's command, and we do that, but that's not what saves us. And if we want to continue lifting up Christ and exalting Christ, we continually point to what God has done, not what we do. And so, you, y'all know we kind of shun language like living the gospel and being the gospel. Because if the gospel is about me, we might as well give up, right? If, if the gospel is about the things that I do, man, we're, we're hopeless. The gospel is about what Jesus has done and that we receive. His commandment, we want to live to his commandments. We want to live those great commandments, but we proclaim the gospel. We might live in response to the gospel, but the gospel is about what Jesus has done, not about what you do. The gospel is what you receive. 
And here's the point. All of Scripture points to Christ. We want to be discerning. We want to read this and say, okay, is this a command for me to obey? If so, obey it. Is this a promise that Jesus has has accomplished for me to believe and trust in? Then believe and trust in it and rest in it. So every text you take, you read and you ask, is this for me to obey or is it me to believe? But also, all of it should be a point of looking to Christ. Christ told the Pharisees that you, you search the Scriptures thinking they have eternal life, and they do, but they point to me. You've missed the point if you have not seen how Scripture shows us Jesus. And so as we're talking about Adam, Adam shows us the new Adam who fulfilled the covenant, who kept the, the law. But we, we, we hear of Cain and Abel, and the blood of Abel crying out for justice points us to the one whose blood cries out for justice for us because it has been satisfied and we are forgiven. We, we hear of Noah and we, we hear of one who himself through the wood will come and save us and rescue a people. We hear of Moses and we hear of where Moses says a, a, another servant will come and we see the fulfillment of that in Jesus as he gives us the fullness of God's law and fulfills God's law. We look at David and we see how he was a champion and shows us the greater king who is to come and be the perfect champion for us. We hear about the new covenant in Jeremiah, and it tells us about the one who raises up the cup and says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Over and over, we read the scriptures, and we see how Jonah shows us three nights, in three days in the belly of the well, points to Jesus in the grave, that everything should be pointing us to Jesus. So not only do we look and do we say, is this something for me to obey? Is this something for me to believe? But how does this show me Jesus? Because the temptation always is to make it about me. The scriptures lift up Christ because they're revealing God to us and who he is and what he's done for us. This is your one weapon. We, we, We are not people who coerce. We are not people who... Force, we are people who convince and proclaim. And would it not be a shame that we, we look at all of our weapons, um, or we look at all our armor, we look at all that God has given us, and that we look at our lives and realize we don't use what he's given us. We don't use the sword. We don't take time to look at his scripture and read it and let it shape us and form us. We, we don't look at it and... and let it give us a new outlook on the day. What, what a difference your day makes if you get up and you read and hear again the promises that God has put away his wrath, that he loves you, that he is providentially caring for you in everything. The, the difference of facing a day with that kind of knowledge and being reminded of his blessings. So are you reading? Are you believing? Are you obeying his word? Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed.